Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Another awesome weekend of rocking behind us. Yes, it was. It was a lot of fun to play for the fine people of Racine, the big party in the pavement. There was a yeah. fun, inflatable UFO bouncy house behind us. <laughs> and also the people of Madison, right downtown on State Street on a beautiful fall day. It was so hot, too. It was like unseasonably hot. Yeah, it was like, 80, like 87 degrees. But you know what? We didn't get rained out. That's my favorite kind of show. No, so it all turned out. So if you were a new listener to the podcast after meeting us at either State Street in Madison or at Party in the Pavement in Racine, welcome to the See You on the Other Side podcast. Thank you for coming and hello. We're glad to have you. Glad to have, glad you're getting weird with us today. Also, speaking of music, we just released a, a new video for one of our songs called Spend the Night, a live video. You can see Wendy and I performing in that. It's a lot of fun. We're performing that live from New Berlin in Wisconsin. Yes. And we even talk a little bit about uh, the inspiration behind the song before that. And Patreon members get to see the entire set from that night, too. So if you're interested in that, check out our Patreon for that because we're also going to hang out with our patreons this week aren't we wendy we sure are it's that time already i can't believe a month has gone by almost yeah <laughs> since our last hangout that's unreal even when you're not having fun time goes fast and i've met two of our patreon members in person since the last one so oh, yeah. how fun is that it is so you guys can check that out this thursday night we'll be all hanging out together and you can find out more at patreon.com slash sunspot music so obviously, it's a lot of work when we're putting together a podcast every week, an original song every week. We're playing shows and also doing sometimes paranormal adventures on a weekly basis. It's a lot of work. Wouldn't you say it, Wendy? It is definitely a lot of work, a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not going to complain about it because it's, it's awesome. But what I am going to say is, did you ever see the movie Multiplicity? I did. Yes, indeed, I yeah. did. Well, who was the, the star of that? Was it Bill Murray? No, it was Michael Keaton. Oh, gosh. I know. It's been, it's like 22 years since that movie came out, but it's still great because the whole idea of multiplicity, it's a guy whose life, he's, he's too busy. So he has to make copies of himself to do the things that, you know, so he can. Clones himself. Yeah. So he, he clones himself so he can do more work at, you know, so he can do more work at work so he can spend more time with his family at home. And then the idea is that the copy is never as good as the original. And then he makes a copy of a copy and then he ends up with a oh, guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the dumb Michael Keaton's like, I like pizza, oh, Steve. man. Anyway. Right. Multiplicity <laughs> is a great Harold Ramis movie. Uh, Egon from the Ghostbusters worked on that particular film and uh, it, it's a classic like Harold Ramis also wrote Groundhog Day directed that I mean fantastic film and he played Egon so you know you can't go wrong but the reason we're talking about that today is like the idea of the doppelganger the idea of a copy uh, they talk about that in Doctor Who too there's a episode called the Rebel Flesh oh. and in the Rebel Flesh uh, people make copies of themselves in order to work in dangerous places. And then you find out that the copies are actually kind of sentient and that, you know, they don't want to work in dangerous places because they have feelings too. Oh. But it's all fiction. And that's, that, that's the land of fiction we're talking about. But the thing about doppelgangers, the idea, it, it's not just a, a copy of yourself. It's that there's someone out there in the world who looks just like you. No, Wendy, have you met a doppelganger of yourself? Have you ever met someone who looks just like you? No, although I've been told and I've been sent pictures of Wendy doppelgangers. So one time our friend Terrence yeah. texted me a picture of someone that really, really looked like me. It was actually kind of scary. And then the other time was the time that um, Ben, our bandmate, was in Michigan and he was shopping and found a picture frame 
that he swore had a picture of me in it, like as just the default picture that came in the picture frame. Oh, so um, he he called. He actually called me, and he's like, "We're at the store," and he's like, "Did you ever like model for a picture frame company or anything?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And so I uh, ended up buying the the picture frame, and it was uncanny. I remember that the girl in the picture it really looked just like me, but it wasn't me. So it just made me wonder. Right, your doppelganger, your thief, your evil twin out there. Mm. How about you? Have you ever seen a doppelganger of you? No. No? You know, it's probably the closest thing is somebody in high school, I think it was senior year, somebody in high school met me somewhere and they really thought I was another person. They came up to me and they're like, hey, and I forgot what name they said. And they're like, hey, man, remember that time we spent at the Norris <laughs> Farm? And the Norris Farm is where like bad boys go. Uh, it was like a juvenile delinquent center that actually I didn't live that far away from the Norris Farm. I only lived a couple miles from the Norris Farm. Mm-hmm. I also had snuck onto the Norris Farm on several occasions because there was a haunted building there. Cool. Yeah. So I, I did go visit it, but I'd never, you know, I never hung out with any of the delinquents. Not that I, they're bad people or anything like that. Well, some of them probably were, but I don't know. <laughs> but either way. This guy totally was like, hey, man, that time. And he's talking about these times we had at the Norris farm together. And I'm just like, I, I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm sorry. I think you have me mistaken for somebody. <laughs> you had a naughty doppelganger. Somebody looking like you running around twin. committing crimes, doing horrible right. things, getting in trouble. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. Because he's like, he's like, come on, man. You know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> You know, I think he was thinking that I was trying to, because we were talking to some girls, or I was talking with a, my girlfriend at the time, and I think he was thinking that I was trying to cover up that I'd never been there. <laughs> and he wanted to call you out know. right there. Yeah. Sure. He's that like, makes nah, sense. Man, you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you mean. We never were in juvie together. But I, like, it really was like, oh, man, remember that time we were in juvie? I'm like, no, like that time we were in the Mexican prison? I do not remember that. <laughs> so I do have a doppelganger out there somewhere and he's committing crimes right now. Probably. Um, he's, he's probably the oldest resident at the Norris farm. He's never left. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but the thing is that that is that theory that, uh, I mean, I think I read somewhere that the rough estimate is that because of the, the kinds of faces we have as humans, because of the kind of genetic differences and, and all of these different things, there's probably seven people on the planet who look like you. The, the chances are there's seven people who have the exact same features. What a creepy notion, though. Yeah. I mean, because there's only so many features you're going to have. You know, there's only so many shapes your eyes can be. Like, you can't have, like, a trapezoid or something. Otherwise, you'd look like a Picasso. So there's seven people out there who look like you. But the thing is, in ancient folklore, if you saw your doppelganger, that was bad news. Uh-oh. Yeah, if you see somebody who looks like you, then probably one of you is going to die pretty soon. Well, because it could be you traveling from a different time or space or dimension. Sure. And then if you see each other, then it's like the jig is up. Right. I think in Doctor Who, they call it the Blinovich limitation effect or whatever, that you can't touch your past person. Like if you're in the future, you can't touch. And it's something bad supposed to happen if you do it, even though they break that rule on Doctor Who all the time. But in the movie Time Cop, the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic from 1992... That, that's the whole thing. You can't touch yourself. And that's actually how they get rid of the bad guy. Yes. In that is they like throw them against each other. Because the bad guy from the future is plotting with the bad guy from the past. And then you got to bring them together to end the timeline. Anyway, I just spoiled Time Cop for you. Here's a spoiler, guys. Jean-Claude Van Damme wins. Oh, just and I was don't. looking forward to watching that this weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You ruined it. It's actually a fun movie. I'd recommend Time Cop. It's worthy. But you you kind of see the end coming from the middle. Anyway, don't worry about Time Cop. What I'm trying to say <laughs> is if you, saw, if you saw your doppelganger. And in Irish folklore, they call it the fetch. Oh. The fetch is your supernatural double. Uh, it's, or it's an apparition of a living person. So it's a ghost of yourself. Oh, gosh. That's even more scary, actually. Yeah. And who talks about it is Catherine Crow, who Allison, my sister, and a frequent contributor to the See You on the Other Side podcast. You might have heard her here, and you'll hear her again very soon. She'll probably be talking about Catherine Crow, this woman who did so much work to forward the ghost hunting and parapsychology and stuff like that in the mid-19th century. She talks about the fetches a lot in her book, The Night Side of Nature. And so the idea is you see your fetch, uh, 
you're going to die. Oh, it's like an omen. Yeah. The word comes from what they think is, is the word fetch life. So if you see that apparition of a living person, they're coming to fetch the life from the living person. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you don't want to see that. Correct. Correct. So you don't want to see. It. So that's like in Irish and, and Northern England. Uh, that's their specific you know, mythology. And then, of course, doppelganger. Uh, is a German word. The German see, German you can compound any any words to get you know that together, and then that's part of the language, and that's cool. You can do that. So doppelganger means doppel double. Okay, and a ganger is a walk. So a ganger means you're walking oh. or going. So it's like you're, oh. it's like you're walking double. And it has an umlaut just to make it look extra badass. Right. So you said like this. You said in my native language, you would say it's a doppelganger. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It's a fantastic word. We developed it. We say it doppelganger. Nope. I don't know how Arnold says it, but he would say it <laughs> a fantastic way. Uh, but that's the idea. The doppelganger, the walk, you know, the double walker is out there. The double goer is out there. Um, people use the term now twin stranger. Okay. And I like that too. That's the more, instead of saying a doppelganger all the time, because doppelganger has that idea. If you're going to see yourself, you might die. So twin stranger just means that there's somebody who looks like you. That's much less scary. Yeah. It's just some, right. Science says there's at least seven other people in the world who probably have your same features. And so it just makes sense. You're going to have some doppelgangers out there looking like you walking around. Maybe at the the gym, (laughs) maybe they don't work out as much. They don't have such a developed body as you might, (laughs) but they look like you in the face. Well, so we and, that. you know, it's now, actually it's possible that you could have an identical twin that was separated at birth. Yeah. yeah right. No, that's at, I mean, that, not that far out there. No, that is absolutely true. It's, <laughs> you could be separated at birth and people have been, you know, they found out later in life. Imagine that, though. I know, meeting someone who looks stuff. exactly like you. That would be so bizarre. Well, and you find out that you were separated at birth from somebody. Whoa. Like, I think that happens to a lot of people who are like orphans or things like that. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. To them. In ancient Egyptian mythology, there's a Ka, which is a spirit double that has the same memories and feelings as the person to whom it belongs. And so sometimes people will see, like a, in Egyptian mythology, the idea was you could see a double of yourself and it wouldn't be like a, an actual person. It would be just a representation of your feelings walking around. I don't think I'd want to see that. <laughs> no. Just somebody crying all the time. Oh, God. Just my car. Or angry. Yeah, my car's always in a bad mood. My car would be my evil twin. Um, So there's different uh, doubles, the idea that something bad's going to happen. If you see something kind of that goes through uh, in several different European traditions. Okay? But the thing is... There are going to be lookalikes, no matter what. Just like the evil me. Maybe he's not evil. He could have been reformed. <laughs> Let me, he probably was reformed. Okay, so this guy's not yeah, evil. Yeah, give the guy a chance. Come on. So. Did he have a goatee? You, oh, he probably had a goatee. Like Mirror Universe Spock. Right. But there's a lookalike out there somewhere. And that's the idea. There's somebody that looks like you. So, I mean, nobody cares if they look like me now. Because I'm not famous. <laughs> But have you ever been mistaken for someone famous, Wendy? Or have you ever seen that happen where somebody's like, oh, you... Yeah. People used to think my dad was Mike Ditka. <laughs> okay, that's right. I knew that. I forgot about that story, but that's why I asked. Um, <laughs> but, so your dad's a picture of Mike Ditka without the mustache. Yeah. On airplanes and stuff like that, people would come up to him, like actually approach him and ask, you know, for an autograph or something like that. <laughs> sure. And I bet your dad flew out of hair plenty of times. So that'd be like, you know, you never know <laughs> yeah. who you're going to see. Right. If you go through that, because... I know I've seen celebrities in the airport. I saw the guy from, Ju- he's the dad from Juno. He played Spider-Man's boss in the Spider-Man movies. Oh, I can't remember his name right now. He's a Nazi on Oz. Anyway, you just see him in like the, he was like in the Minneapolis airport. We just stood behind him. <laughs> and he was a nice guy talking to people and stuff. And somebody recognized him. He was like, oh yeah, you know, he's friendly taking pictures. And he was in a great mood and stuff. But the thing is, you never know who you're going to see in an airport. So if somebody sees your dad, they might be like, oh my God, it's my, it's Ditka. Right. I saw Hulk Hogan once. You saw Hulk Hogan in the airport? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah it was 
<laughs> but he was just walking. I, I didn't say hi to him or anything like that, but. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. I've seen Hulk live like a dozen times. Uh, I used to go to wrestling when I was a kid. Oh, man. Well, you know, what we're talking about today is doppelgangers that replaced celebrities. The idea that a lookalike replaces somebody famous when they die or they retire or something. And one of Hulk's nemeses in the early 1990s was the ultimate warrior. And, you know, I mean, I love Hulk Hogan, but when they did the, the promos for each episode... You know, like Hulk's promos would be like, you know what I mean, brother? And he'd go in his whole thing and he'd, he'd talk about the vitamins and the prayers and the working out, man, and the strongest force in the universe, run wild on you. Okay, so that was yeah. his promo. And they generally made a little bit of sense. There's a, there's a great video uh, when Hulk Hogan and like Macho Man Randy Savage are together. They're obviously coked to the gills. And it, 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 <laughs> oh, and really, no. like, they're, it was they're the 80s, faces. right? Yes, it was like the late 80s and their faces as yeah. they just keep inventing new ways to top each other and saying crazy <laughs> things. It's a delight to see. And you can see they're like, oh, yeah. And it's really exciting. But the thing is, Hulk's nemesis for a while. He was a good guy. Then he was a bad guy. Then he fought the Hulkster was this guy named the Ultimate Warrior. And the Ultimate Warrior had like war paint. He wore war paint. He had not like rubber bands. But he had little streamers he put on his arms and he was really buff. Uh, well, he's a wrestler. They're all pretty buff. But some of them are kind of fat. But he was real buff. And uh, he, his promos would just be cryptic. He they, he would say things that just made no sense. <laughs> they would just be like, the warriors across the world know that. And the, re- the reason I bring this up is because one of the people we'll be talking about later also speaks very cryptically <gasps> and sometimes makes no sense. Oh. And so, and so the ultimate warrior would say these strange it. cryptic messages that you couldn't quite decipher. And then he just for like for a few months, he disappeared from the WWF. He came back. His hair was a little different color. His makeup Uh-oh. was a little bit different. Um, I, his body looked a little bit different. And people said, well, what happened was the reason the ultimate warrior was away for a while is that he died and he was replaced by a new actor. Oh, man. Because all you'd need is a tan actor with sandy brown hair, uh, really buff, and then he wears face paint the whole time anyway. So it'd be easy to get a new person to replace the ultimate warrior. And so that was the rumor. Now, in reality, what happened was he got into a salary dispute with Vince McMahon, Uh. the owner of the WDF, and he ended up getting fired and then rehired later. And when he came back, I think he probably, I think he changed his steroids. You know, there's something where he like changed his workout routine. His body was a little bit different. His hair was a different color, um, like dyed a different color. So the, the whole thing was that he just, he just changed a little bit. And you didn't get to see that change happen slowly because he was gone for a while. So he comes back and people are like, well, yeah, obviously the ultimate warrior died and was replaced. <laughs> like he was that popular of a character. That they- a natural assumption. But the thing is, people have said that sometimes in entertainment when somebody dies they'll just get replaced and nobody will say anything about it and they'll just they'll try to pass off this imposter this doppelganger this lookalike as the original it's kind of like you remember the show bewitched oh yeah oh the, the darrens yeah the darrens switch out in the middle and they kind of yeah, look like each other. so weird you know they, they look they look very similar to each other but that, I mean, it was just after like a salary dispute or whatever. They're like, well, forget it. We fired you. We're going we're gonna to hire somebody who looks just like you. Didn't they do that on Three's Company too with Suzanne? No, Suzanne Summers left, but they hired somebody who was her, Chrissy's cousin. Oh, okay. So she was just another blonde ditzy yeah. to fill that role. To, to fill the role. But they didn't just try to say like one day she shows up and, you know, they'll do that on a soap opera or whatever because they have to shoot every day. So sometimes today, if you watch a soap opera, I guess I haven't watched a soap opera in a long time, but they'd be like, today the role of Jasmine is played by, and then they'd say some different actor's name and then understudy would play them for the day. Oh. Yeah. Because if you get sick in a soap opera, they're not going to wait for you because the show must go on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they got to, you got to film an hour show every single week. They don't get the long season break breaks like a, like primetime shows anyway so but bring up bewitched they kind of snuck it one in on us uh and even as a kid i knew it's like oh i don't like this darren as much as i like i mean i liked both of the darrens 
But it'd be like, oh, you know, you, you kind of had your favorite, Darren. And I watched a lot of Bewitched because it was about a witch. Yeah, and that show was fun. It was a lot of fun. Speaking of Bewitched, in the 1960s, well, when the, the Beatles obviously were popular starting in the early 1960s, but the, I don't think we understand the popularity of the Beatles today. Yeah, it's hard to. <laughs> if you talk to a baby boomer, they're just like, oh, yeah, man, the Beatles. Like, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. 40% of the United States watched that show. Gosh, that's incredible. 70 million, I think 73 million people. 73 million watched that episode. 40% of the United States population watched that show. So when they talk about all these people wanted to be musicians after they saw the Beatles playing Ed Sullivan, number one, you had the 50 million people born between 1945 and 1960 or whatever, the baby boomers, who, you know, born after the Second World War. And so there were so many people of that impressionable age. Mm-hmm. And then you have so many Americans who are you've got radio going you've got records the mass media distribution we have no idea my uncle gary went to go see the beatles when they came play at county stadium in milwaukee in 1964 okay and he's like man we waited in line so long to see the beatles i'm like you saw the beatles live he's like yeah he's like kind of because they it's county stadium which seated like how many for 50,000 people right 50 50,000 yeah so, so it's massive baseball stadium or it was at the time and there's 50 some thousand people and he's like i just saw these specks of i saw these four guys walk out in the middle of the field and they played for about a half an hour and he goes i couldn't hear a single note because the girls were screaming the whole time Jeez. He, he said the girls screamed from the moment like before they got on stage until after they were done and he said it just was a that's all you could you hear. Know, imagine, oh. right? Imagine a touchdown for t- half an hour, a reaction to a touchdown for a half an hour, and yeah. that's what he heard. And the Beatles said when they went to New York and had to take a like. It's been two weeks. Originally, was their invasion of the United States that happened in 1964. That was the thing, and so they had to reroute or like they would have like decoys go out that looked like the Beatles, so the girls would chase them, and then the so the Beatles could be safely escorted from place to place so they'd be beetle decoys like wearing the mop top that's hilarious when they were on the subway in new york city they had to um like block off one of the ramps on the subway or whatever (laughs) for people to get in one of the exits so the beetles could go and they so they could take the new york subway it just people were insane about them and they still are my sixth grade teacher mrs atkinson i still remember this we spent like we had an england week I think like an England month or that was one of the countries we studied in sixth grade. Okay. We spent uh-huh. like a week on the Beatles. That's awesome. Yeah. And she like we watched Help and I think we watched A Hard Day's Night too. We listened oh, to a bunch wow. of the music. I mean, we talked about the Beatles for a long time in class. And she's just like, Oh man, I just love the Beatles. And she was that perfect age or whatever. <laughs> she's like, Oh man, the Beatles. Just like so excited about them. And they're still, I mean, they're, they're heroes to everybody. The ones that are living still, Paul McCartney and, and Ringo Starr. Uh, people still get starstruck when they talk about it. Howard Stern, when he talks about the Beatles. I forget how I was listening to an interview. You think Howard Stern is like the richest radio person of all time. You know, he's, he's made more money in radio than anybody else has. Maybe mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh's made more, but very few people have made more money than Howard <laughs> Stern. And you think he's been famous for 30 years, right? The biggest DJ in the planet. And still he's interviewing somebody who like, hung out with Paul McCartney in a boat and he just wants all of the details. He's like, but yeah, you, but you hung out with Paul McCartney. Like, yeah, you got a lot of famous friends. He's like, yeah, I have a lot of famous friends, but none of them are Paul McCartney. True. So even to celebrities, he's the biggest, you know, the Beatles are the biggest celebrities of all time, you know. Sir Paul McCartney. Sir Paul, that's right. They gave him a knight. They knighted him. So the reason we're setting this up like that is because if Paul McCartney really died in 1966, why would you cover it up? What would be the reason? And they say that the reason was that the British government was worried that there would be a rash of young female suicides. Oh my goodness. If it was discovered that Paul McCartney... So they thought it was a public <laughs> service to keep the Beatles going. Wow. And so the rumor about Paul is dead is that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car crash... Uh, in January 1967, 
like he got in an argument with everybody and stormed out of the studio and drove away in his Aston Martin. Um, ran into some hitchhiker named Rita, picked her up. She was in the car, and then she distracted him in some way, and he crashed the car and died. And because of the Beatle machinery, because they were such a huge business, they found a, a Paul McCartney lookalike, and he's the one who joined the Beatles after that. So the Paul McCartney lookalike replaced the original Paul who had died in this car crash, and the Beatles were so upset about it that they would leave clues in their songs right, and on their album covers. And they only did, what, like one concert after that, right? Now that's true, because no. the thing is, I remember the last they, the last concert, whatever, at uh, Candlestick Park. August 29th, 1966. All right. So here's some of the clues that people thought. Here's the, 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 the crumbs that people thought they were leaving that uh, John and, and George and maybe Ringo, but you really think he's leaving clues? Hey, now... He's just like, I'm happy to be here. Be nice to the drummer. Hey, they let me in a band. (laughs) I can count to four, kind of. Whenever I think of Ringo, I always think about that urban legend. I don't know if it's true. As like, why the drums start late on uh, Let It Be. Or... I can't remember this song. It's one of the songs that drums does like the second verse. And it's because when they were recording, Ringo was in the bathroom. And that was the best take. But he like came running out at the end. He's like, hold on. And he just comes in with the Like fill, scrambling and in. that's the one they kept. He's like, oh, God, it's about to go. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah, because that was before they could uh, cut things in and out so easily like they do now. Yeah. Right. Well, the Beatles, they were one of the first people to use four-track recording. Right. The Beatles using four-track recording. But, so, that I always think of him, just that lovable guy, like, hey, I got a job, mom. Um, Poor Ringo. So, yeah. All right. So, here's some of the clues that people had. Um, they said in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, when they introduced the band, you know, they say, like, uh, the fictional member's name is Billy Shears, and that's Paul's replacement. Is this, you know, the legendary Billy Shears, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hustle Band? And that's supposed to be like they're announcing the people's names, you know, as a. It seems like in the song, the idea is they're just announcing these characters' names in, in their song for the album. But the idea was that Billy Shears really is related to this Scottish guy that won a Paul McCartney lookalike contest in the 60s. <laughs> oh, like, man. His name's like Billy Sheep or something. Or Billy Shepard. Okay. Billy Shepard. And the reason that the Shears is the clue is because you shear a sheep and he's a shepherd. Okay. So that's the clue. Uh, that it's Billy Shepard who would replace this Scottish guy, had replaced Paul McCartney. Also, in A Day in the Life, John says, um, he blew his mind out in a car. And that's the idea that, uh, well, Paul died in a car. Not very subtle, though. Right. Uh, But then the big one is at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, if you listen when they have all that, like the tapes winding down and everybody's obviously stoned out of their gourds when they're doing like, oh man, we just going to put this on the tape and it's going backwards <laughs> and it's going to be, oh my God, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Let me hit that. Is that he says, I buried Paul. And it sounds like, I buried Paul. Oh, I buried Paul. And he says he's actually saying cranberry sauce. Nice. Okay. That's his vocalization. Now that sounds like more BS tell you the truth that sounds like more bs than it does than him actually saying i buried paul yeah seriously that's stupid i wouldn't even admit it if i had said that no but there's like a couple of different like outtakes or whatever in these different songs where john lennon is saying like fruits and foods and things so like he was using it as he was using it as vocalizations this was in the 70s right late 60s okay it all makes sense so that's why he said so, you know, these clues are coming in. But, you know, how this all started, though, was that somebody from a, a Drake University wrote an article called, Is Beatle Paul McCartney Dead? 
And there was a rumor on campus at the time that the recent Beatles album, including, you know, they talk about Sgt. Pepper in there. There's the whole Revolution 9 where you play Revolution 9 and it sounds like Turn Me On Dead Man. Turn Me Mm -hmm. On Dead Man. (laughs) And actually that's, you know, I didn't, that Union Underground song, Turn Me On Mr. Dead Man, which they played on like hard rock radio all the time from like 2000 to 2005. Turn me on, Mr. Dead Man. Like that. I didn't realize that was based on Revolution 9, number nine. Number nine, number nine. And that song's got a whole bunch of great quotes from different rock songs in it. Anyway, Union Underground, underappreciated. It's it's hard to underappreciate new metal because most of it shouldn't be appreciated at all. But that particular song uh, is a gem from a time of a lot of turds. Uh, so that so that whole thing is that okay so why would they include revolution number nine on an album from the white album you know like why would they put that song on there anyway it's like nine minutes yeah that is a little weird no one had tried a sonic experiment on a pop album like that before and we didn't have pro tools and things where people could just make a sound collage so right. they probably just were looking for, they were probably bored in the studio, put stuff together, doing it back and forth. Um, I mean, John, what crap did he say? This is my favorite quote. Now, I oh love boy. Beatles, no question. And John Lennon of is course. a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but the way he talks about Revolution Number 9 is the usual, like, it just sounds like the worst hippie stupid you hear. It's like, I wanted to make a song about how you would draw a revolution. Like, like what? Okay. So it was supposed to be an avant-garde work of how a revolution would sound if it was drawn. Okay. Which sounds like John blew his mind out in a car. Right. And that car was called the LSD Express. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, it's quite a trip. I so, hear. right the the idea that uh, it's some kind of thing that this that he put a nine-minute thing where he's like. Uh, Turn Me On Dead Man. And Turn Me On Dead Man referred to Paul McCartney. Oh, man. Um, Right. It's just like, you know, when people played, when people play Another One Bites the Dust backwards, and it kind of sounds like Freddie Mercury saying, decide to smoke marijuana. Oh, yeah, that's right. But it's like the guy in Twin Peaks saying it, though. Like, decide to smoke marijuana. (laughs) It is, can you dance like me? (laughs) Right. Uh, Right, that that is how it that is how it sounds. Like you're like, man, you know, you think about when you know that song was released and another one bites the dust. And after all the songs in the '70s and everybody, like Queen, really had to have us. Like they really had to sneak that one in there. You know, we're gonna put a song. We're gonna make a song about pot. We're gonna put it backwards, and it's gonna be perfect if you play your record backwards, like you're an idiot. Right. So. You know, and, and the Abbey Road cover, people had a whole thing about the clues on the Abbey Road cover that, number one, uh, Paul's not wearing shoes. He's kind of walking out of step with the others, the character, the person who's playing Paul, Billy Shepard. Uh-huh. Okay. John's wearing all white, supposedly like the priest. Ringo is a mourner. He's dressed entirely in black. George is wearing jeans like a gravedigger. Wait, you're serious? Yeah. Uh, I think we're stretching a bit here. Yeah, like people said that this this was their idea. These are the clues. It's called right. seeing what you that, want to see. <laughs> right, completely. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, I mean, people put up pictures of the different shapes of Paul McCartney through the years. And they're like, well, this is, you know, head size and facial shape. The eyebrows are different. The earlobes are different. Somebody says that he's got a chin scar in certain areas. Or, you know, they take the... The thing is, they're taking old pictures and blowing them up, number one. I mean, yeah. all of this Paul McCartney stuff, and first of all, you're looking at somebody when he's 21 years old, and then when he's 50 years old, and now when he's 75 years old. You know, yeah, you're looking yeah. at people through decades of their life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that the same Paul McCartney? Well, I don't know, but if you look at a picture of me when I'm 21, I'm like 25 pounds heavier. I've got like a, <laughs> a fat guy goatee. I'm probably wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, and there's you plenty know, like of people things. that, you know, you see nowadays and then you see a picture of them as a young person and you wouldn't know it's them. Correct. So, I mean, there was a whole conspiracy theory a few years ago that the entire Beatles were a fabrication. 
yeah. that they were a created entity and that there was different Beatles. Like there was a whole bunch of them because there's no way that those four guys could have done all that work. Okay, maybe. But it's interesting some of the evidence that they talk about it though is, I mean, because nobody believes that Paul McCartney actually died, uh, at least not serious people. <laughs> and, you know, nobody's still into that conspiracy theory that I think that, you know, because you had the newspaper and then you had like a guy in a radio station talk about it for two hours one night. And that really is what, it's really what kind of set it off in the yeah. United States, this conspiracy theory. And it kind of grew like that. And then, you know, even with the internet, like conspiracy theories and it doesn't seem to change. Like you can go to Snopes, but you can be like, Snopes be lying to you. <laughs> you can't trust anything. You know, like, I, I don't know. I don't think that things have changed. Right. <laughs> No, people still, the way they talk to each other and the way they spread information, I heard this on there. I talked to a guy in there. I remember reading this on an internet forum. Oh, okay. And then half the stuff you read on the news, or if you read a blog, it's taken from a news site, which might be taken from another news site. I looked at a news story today. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder where I can find the actual quote. I had to go back three different sites to find the actual quote, the actual interview, the mm. person who actually conducted the news story in the first place. Wow. So if we think that we're smarter than the people were in the 70s, we're not. <laughs> um, but what I think is interesting, though, is this idea that Paul McCartney, like, so he divorces Heather Mills in 2009, and it's a fairly ugly divorce. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, it goes bad. It's not, you know, he doesn't have this idyllic, he had, with Linda McCartney, he had this idyllic marriage. They never spent a night apart, or they never spent more than one night apart in like 30 <laughs> some years of being married, even though people berated her for not having any talent or whatever. Like, you know, they berated her probably not as bad as Yoko. Yeah. But they still uh, berated her. And Heather Mills is on Larry King. And she's like, you know what? I just told him that I know uh, I don't want a penny. I just want you to protect me. I just want you to protect me from this machine and I'll keep my mouth shut. Oh, keep your mouth shut about what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like she was saying that, you know, that Paul McCartney is a powerful, you know, man. And obviously he's powerful. Obviously his machinery of PR and agents and the wealth (laughs) generations of people. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, worth half a billion dollars. And she's, she said that if she, she'll spill the beans and people are like, you know, she's going to spill the beans about (laughs) <laughs> she's gonna spill the beans about that he's not the real he's not he's not the real the original McCartney. he's not the original so yeah he's not the original but the thing is i mean if he's not the original he's been this guy for 52 years now yeah so i would say he is the original Paul he, McCartney. yeah exactly <laughs> now, if he's, he's outlived by now the replacement is the real Paul. right but i mean paul mccartney is not the only one that this has happened to Okay, the, the re- I think the reason um, we even brought up the subject is Avril Lavigne. You guys remember Avril Lavigne? He was a skater boy. She Set said later, you boy. Later, oh, boy. You, know. you remember skater boy? You remember, why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? Oh, yeah. She's a sassy little Canadian. And she was very young. She was like, you know, 15 right. or 16 years old in the early 2000s. And in 2012... Uh, a Portuguese language blog, a, a Brazilian fan site, said that they had evidence that uh, the Avril Lavigne that we see today is not the same Avril Lavigne who sang complicated oh, skater boy no. and things like that. That's right. Now she has a new album coming out this week and had a ho- song called "Head Above Water." She hasn't had a new record in five years. This is her first time back. You know, this is her comeback album or whatever. And they're saying, "Well, Avril Lavigne's coming back again." But it's not, it's not the real Avril Lavigne. Oh, okay, so, you know, what happened? Well, it's that when she originally became popular in the early 2000s, she was really young. Yeah. So she was like 15. She's a child. So in order to better cope with it, she got a double named Melissa, a body double. And the body double would go out and it would like go to a red carpet event. <laughs> it's, and like so Avril it would had, go. She had a ganger. She had a double ganger. A do- she had a doppelganger go to different places to look like her. Yeah, okay, so she can't handle it. So she gets this Melissa girl to go around for her. And then eventually, the real Avla Ravine, she has some uh, mental health problems and it kills herself. And that's when Melissa steps in and takes over oh, full time. Oh, no. Yeah. So, 
But the thing is, just to keep the machine going, right? To keep to keep the money machine going, so th- they can keep that sweet yep. Canadian pop dollars coming in. So she hires a, the double, go the paparazzi. The double then becomes her, and then here's some evidence. Uh, number one is that like Avril Lavigne was tweeting something like some song lyrics, and somebody found like an old song lyrics of her writing it down from when she was like 16 and like song lyrics today and said that the 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 handwriting was all different uh. another person takes they, they took the freckles on her left arm they counted the number of freckles oh, come on, on and said that the original avril levine has less freckles than the new Avril Lavigne or whatever. So like, she's like, did the jigs grow freckles? Well, they, I mean, actually that is oh true. God. You can get, fre- I mean, yeah, they get sunshine. They appear and disappear from season to season. Yep. Um, eyes done that the original Avril's eyes were very different, that they were just not quite the same shape. Some people said it was plastic surgery. I don't even believe that. I just think it was Photoshop. Oh, okay. Like when you look at the pictures, like how can you look at any picture, any celebrity picture, put out by a publicist in the past 15 years and have it be believable and you don't even if you see a picture of me do not believe it has not been retouched <laughs> right. i will retouch anything i will retouch every i'll retouch razor burn yeah i mean with instagram and stuff they have the little like beauty filters so just all your blemishes yeah. go away and there's we were looking on the on the way to Racine in the van we laughing because there's there's a face thinner <laughs> a teeth whitener um right. <laughs> And that's just on a smartphone. All that's not things. even like you don't even have to have photoshopping skills to do that. You don't have to have a team of people do that. So our faces are much fatter so, than what they look like in all of our pictures, everybody. Just so you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you meet me in real life, I'm as ugly on the outside oh, as I am on the end. Come on. <laughs> so the thing is, all these Avril Lavigne death conspiracy blog posts have been recycled kind of as joke things because there are new albums coming out and and she's using her hook on the new album is that this was about her struggle with Lyme disease. So I guess she had a deadly riff with Lyme disease for oh, the past that's horrible. years and that's why she's been out of commission. Wow, I didn't know that. Or at least Melissa had Lyme disease. I don't know about Avril. <laughs> right. But um, no, and, and they'll go into, there was some like, some of her songs had clues. 2004 hit Nobody's Home is a clue to the suicide. Because it says, she wants to go home, but nobody's home. It's where she lies broken inside with no place to go, no place to go to dry her eyes, broken inside. Oh, yeah, that song is pretty depressing. Yeah, but it just kind of sounds emo. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many songs like that. Yeah. If you want to take sad songs, I mean, just listen to a Radiohead album as you jump off a bridge. Like Those are the saddest sounding songs in the world. But Tom York, when you listen to him in interviews, he sounds like he's having a good time most of the time, actually. And you're like, hey, that's because a happy guy writes sad well, he, songs. Well, he gets it out, exactly. He gets it out in the music. That's what music so, does. Avril Lavigne, the thing is, the people that made that original story in 2012, um, they admitted they were doing an experiment to try to see if they could start a rumor online. Yeah. So, uh, Avril Lavigne, it's the real Avril Lavigne, right? Because when I think about Avril do you think that this Melissa character would marry both the guy from some 41 and the guy from Nickelback. <laughs> like next up is Brian Adams and the guy from Rush. She's going to go through the entire, like Getty Lee. She's going to go through the entire Canadian rock rotation. No, but uh, so yeah, so this is the real Avril Lavigne. They said it's just a, it's just a rumor. But the thing is, is that a lot of the sites that make the jokes or whatever that recycle the rumor, they neglect to put that the, the guy that wrote that site actually said that he started the rumor on purpose. And they just forget to put that in, probably because it's in Portuguese and you have to Google translate it. As someone that's worked in entertainment journalism now for a long time, I understand if it requires work, an entertainment journalist will not do it. So that that Google Translate button wasn't going to happen. So Avril Lavigne, uh, our verdict is she's still alive. Yay. Now, a couple more imposter stories. One uh, that I always thought was fun is in the movie Bubba Hotep. Yes. It's the idea that it's very similar to Avril Lavigne. Like he was, Elvis was sick of being Elvis. So he hires an Elvis impersonator to take over for him. Mm-hmm. And then that's the guy, that's the guy that dies like eating a peanut butter and banana sandwich on the pot <laughs> or whatever. That's the guy that dies. Uh, you know, so the real, the real Elvis is stuck in the other life he created. 
and you know he can never he can never go home again and so that's what Bubba Hotep and then when he's old man he has to you know face off with a face off with a mummy and I'd recommend that that film's a film Joe Lansdale the great Texas author who's done like the Happen Leonard books and everything he he wrote that one really well but there was a guy named Jimmy Ellis the southerner and in the 1960s here's a guy who looks a little bit like Elvis he sounds a lot like Elvis and that's his talent. They even had him re-record some Elvis songs. So different, you know, managers and record labels kept on trying to get this guy who looked like Elvis and sounded like Elvis to be successful, like an Elvis clone. And it never really worked out for him until after Elvis died. Uh-oh. So what happens is like his manager sees that Elvis dies and it's like, all right, well, we got a guy that looks like Elvis and sounds like Elvis and the real Elvis is dead. He hears about this novel that's coming out called Orion, the living superstar of song that talks about a character definitely based on Elvis, becomes addicted to drugs, gets fat, uh, kicks drugs, loses weight, fakes his own death, and restarts. All right? So he sees this novel. It's like, you know what? We're going to make an Orion album based on this book. And we're going to use the fact, we're going to make it a mysterious. So they have this jimmy ellis guy dressed in a little mask wear the cape wear all the elvis stuff with a little mask on and like it's like it's supposedly elvis like he faked his own death and now he's restarting his career and he sold a ton of albums as this orion character orion reborn they even have a a casket on the cover of the album with this guy that looks like elvis and then uh, this Orion character, this Jimmy Ellis with a little mat, like a Zorro mask on, like superimposed over him. Mm. So o- Orion reborn, and it it sells. I mean, he finally he they sell eleven Orion albums in like four years. Uh, nine songs get popular on country radio, th- enough to reach the national country chart. He becomes the opening act for Dionne Warwick, the Oak Ridge Boys. He opens up for Kiss. Amazing. So Ryan character singing Elvis-like songs. They take advantage of the fact that they are now creating a Elvis impersonator that supposedly is the king returning from the dead. Okay, well, Jimmy Ellis, he decides, I mean, he's just like, forget it. You know, he, after a while, he doesn't want to do it anymore. So he quits, unmasks himself, and tries to get success again on his own. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. Uh, he eventually gets killed uh, in an armed robbery attempt on his pawn shop. Sad. Yeah, that's a drag too. That's just a that's a tough ending to that guy's story. But, you know, they they used that narrative in order to sell album. <laughs> they used the king's death to try to make that happen. And we have this idea about artists that their authenticity and we we really feel this about musicians particularly that they need to be authentic. You know, like that, the rapper Rick Ross, you know, his character of a big drug dealer and stuff like that. He even named himself after this famous Rick Ross, Freeway Rick Ross, this guy that was a major drug dealer in the 1980s and went to jail. He named himself after that. When you find out that the real Rick, the rapper Rick Ross, actually wasn't a convict, he was a prison guard. <laughs> it, right, it puts him like, oh, he's not so authentic anymore. Yeah. You know, we like to think of our, our musicians as some you know some kind of authenticity they're artists it's different an actor you expect it to be artifice an actor right. you expect them to be lying to you that's their job a musician brings you truth mm-hmm. i mean i even think in this podcast what we try to do with this podcast is that you know we research this podcast like we're researching for the cbs evening <laughs> news like, like it's yeah, that's because true because we're we're talking about things where a lot of people like to lie about we're talking about paranormal stuff and so if we lied to you, it wouldn't be any fun. You know, because the fun part is people believe this or you believe something or there's a kernel of truth that's hidden somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And so I, something that just happened this weekend, and this is funny because we decided on this podcast topic before this even came out. It's very exciting. But Wendy, besides like your friends' bands, who is the artist that you've probably seen more than anybody else live? Besides, like, you know, people we see, like, local bands, we go see them all the time. Who's the person you've seen the most? Like a national touring artist. Yeah. Well, I think you know, Mike, because you were with me for most of the times that I've been to see him, but... Uh, 
Andrew WK, of course. Right. That's right. Andrew WK, the original. Now, if you guys don't know quite know who Andrew WK is, he's the guy that has the Party Hard song. It's probably, they still play that in like sports events and stuff. But he released this album in 2001 called like, Get Wet. And we heard that like driving around and in Ben's pickup truck and like it changed it our life. It blew our minds instantly. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, this album's so awesome. This music is so fantastic. Like we go see him anytime he's played. In 2004, if you bought his album, sorry, actually, I'm sorry, this was 2003 when The Wolf came out. If you, when the first thousand people to buy his album, The Wolf, Wendy has a poster, it's like a signed poster of The Wolf on her wall behind yes. her in the picture, the right? only framed poster down here. If you were one of the first people to buy The Wolf, then he would give you a call. And so I was like in that first thousand people. And so like, we're about to go on stage like October of 2003 or 2004. And then Andrew WK like just calls and he's like, hey, is Mike there? And I'm like, yes. He's like, Hi. It's Andrew WK. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, and we were all standing so there excited. listening, like trying to hear what he was saying to you. And we were so excited. It was amazing. Yeah. It's Halloween night. And I'm like, I'm about to go on stage and play a show. He's like, that's awesome. And then he just, you know, said some things. And then we, we went to go see him a little bit after that when he played in Milwaukee. He played in Madison on campus. We went to go see it. I've seen him, you know, like half a dozen times over the past 15 years. And then it's South by Southwest this yeah. year. Yeah. Actually, we saw him in other South by Southwest, too. Oh, yeah. He's usually so, there. <laughs> so we, obviously, we've seen Andrew Debbie King a hundred times. He's awesome. And so this weekend, uh, this article comes out in the blog Stereo Gum about how is Andrew WK really who he says he is? And, <sighs> well, what? And it's from this controversy. With, uh, I don't know if it's a controversy, but this thing comes out in 2004. That there's a concert in New Jersey. It's a Christmas concert in New Jersey. Andrew WK comes out. The set gets cut short. And then the people who were at the concert start posting online. Well, that wasn't Andrew WK who was at the concert. The set was cut short because it wasn't Andrew WK. Oh, man. And it's like, what? I'd be so mad. (laughs) Right. So the set's cut short. And then all of a sudden, like his website gets hacked. And this guy named Steve Mike, S-T-E-E-V, so two E's, Steve Mike, the guy's name, he writes this like strange message on Andrew WK's message or Andrew WK's website, hacks it, and says like, stop trying to squeeze me out. I helped you become what you were supposed to be, blah, blah, blah. And says all these things like, you know, I'm here to... Uh, you know, claim my credit and stuff. And, and people are like, well, what's that about? And then they look at his first album, I Get Wet, and they see the executive producer credit is Steve Mike. And then they look up old articles about Andrew WK that are from like the BBC and stuff. And, and there's an article from England, actually, that shows a picture of Andrew WK, but it says the artist is Steve Mike. All right? That, that's weird. Yeah. And then when he's first touring the UK... Um, Two different sources, one the BBC and the other was the Guardian, said, you know, Andrew WK, is he the savior of rock and roll or is he just a hoax designed by Dave Grohl? What? Yeah. So then they say Dave Grohl. My other favorites. Like create Andrew WK. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters and Nirvana's drummer. I'm confused by this. And I mean, he's the lead singer of the Food Fighters. Yeah. A beloved rock star that he's this creation that he it's all a hoax because the thing is like we were talking before like i said about the ultimate warrior would always talk cryptic andrew wk talks in a very cryptic manner oh my gosh yeah you read his like blog posts and stuff and it's like what on earth it's all very positive and it's all and they make a lot more sense now than they used to because now he's writing columns for major publications he's you know he had a radio show and it was very and he kind of went into the motivational speaking arena and in fact i saw him when he was uh doing his little presidential campaign recently the uh, representing the party party <laughs> i got the t-shirt the andrew That's wk right. for president about the party but it was party. totally a motivational speech and it was very awesome and it, it made sense but like back in the day his blog i used to read his blog and it was one of those 90s looking blogs with the black background and like the red text or whatever but it was just like a stream of consciousness kind of insane sounding page positive yes but yeah i'd be like 200 words about hanging out with cats remember that cat one i was like what the hell is this that was the first time i ever saw i'm like this guy's blowing my <laughs> mind but you could tell there was some kind of you know it this 
a lot of it was some kind of act in, in the way that it's a performance art. That's what we we're saying, like cryptic, like an Andy Kaufman-esque kind of. <laughs> right. In that he's going all the way with his, uh, I mean, even the New York Times have a, does a profile on him. And the New York Times is like, I think he's messing with us. You know, the, the, you know, the author was like, she didn't know what to say. So he's got this character that he plays that's always positive. This is everything's a party. And it, it's always about how to, to, everything you do can be a party. Find your way out of bad times. It's a really nice, positive music and a nice, positive message. So it's not bad. But the Steve Mike stuff goes on. And uh, people start saying, well, is Andrew WK a real person? Or is he a creation that this person inhabits? So like... Is he was he created by a committee by a record label, or by this Steve Mike producer? Yeah, and he's basically an actor portraying Andrew WK. He's Remington Steele, <laughs> right? Basically, Andrew WK is Remington Steele. Oh goodness! Right? Is this Andrew WK like his? Was it a, a fictional character created? Because there's this person named Andrew Wilkes Keir, whatever, who was born in Michigan, and his dad is like a college professor, and his dad was the head of the label that released his first album. And I mean, not not Island Records, but like there was a Bulb Records in uh, Michigan in the nineteen or the, in the late nineteen nineties, and so they released like his first music, and it does. I mean, but they're they're saying like his bio and everything. There's fiction in it right away. There's stuff that says that uh, the WK was based on this murderer in. Michigan, the WK was ba- like white. It was Andrew White Killer Whoa. or Andrew Women Come. Like his original, bi- yeah, his original bio says all this crazy stuff, and it says it doesn't really matter what the WK stands for. What matters is he's like he effing rocks or whatever. Oh my gosh! Like the bio is full of some of this crazy, you know, uh-huh. this like character creation. It says that his dad was a uh, a police chief in a town in Michigan, and that's why he was named after this killer. But the killer whatever was from 1987 and it was born in 1979. Okay. So all this, you know, he says all this crazy stuff and you can tell that they're creating a character from the get go of yeah. this cryptic kind of thing. So keeps going. Andrew WK is not helping because people ask him, well, are you a real person? He always answers it cryptically. Like I am a company. <laughs> I am a corporation. <laughs> I am a, you know, he's all these different things. He's like, I am all these different things. And he's like, I am not the same person I was in 2000. He's like, literally, I am not the same person I was in 2000. I'm not the same person who made, I get wet. And you're like, Oh my God, he's admitting it. And then he's like, None of you are the same person right. in 2000. We're different. <laughs> Good so, answers. He says everything, everything is, side, everything is sideways. So it all feels like a performance piece. So this article comes out in Stereo Gum uh, this weekend where this guy goes into like, is Andrew WK a real person kind of thing? And this just came out today. Now, we were originally supposed to record the podcast at like 3.30 p.m. And this came out at 3 p.m. today. Important. This is from Andrew WK. I'm on his like Facebook messenger list. And so this comes in my Facebook, like just like I'd get a message from you. I get a message. Okay. (laughs) Sweet. That's so cool. Like what does it say? It says, important. This article is claiming that Andrew WK is a fraud or that he's part of an organized secret effort to convince people that he isn't what he says he is. While we're assuming the writer had the best of intentions, the vast majority of this text is simply not true. We urge you to dismiss the claim that Andrew isn't real or any similar assertions that paint him as something he is not. Andrew has never worked behind the scenes with any individual or group in order to make it appear as though he doesn't exist. Most of all, please simply stay focused on the power of parties, the joyful sensations Andrew WK works so hard to provide every day. That is where the truth lies. Here, here. Party forever. And the party forever is in all caps. Oh, man, I love that guy. Right, and I love him too. But so kind of what I think, there's even, I mean, some people say that Andrew WK was created by Diane Warren, like the woman that wrote the Just Wanna, Don't Want to Miss a Thing song. Oh. She wrote all the songs in like the late 90s and 2000s that I hate. <laughs> and so that she wanted to write rock songs, but she was afraid that she wouldn't be able to sell her rock songs. So she wrote these Andrew WK songs, even though I can't imagine like Diane Warren wrote Party Till You Puke <laughs> or, you know. We want fun and we want to get pasted. Like, I, I do not think that Diane Warren wrote those songs. You know, there's also another thing that says that, that Tom Cruise, <laughs> the theory literally says, is Tom Cruise Andrew WK? Like, th- these people wrote these things like, that, that 
he's a creation of even like they use Tom Cruise because he's always implied in all the uh, Scientology conspiracies. Yeah. But the thing is, what's probably the truth on it is that in the early 2000s and stuff, alternate reality games were just kind of taken off. They started playing with the Steve Mike persona and to say like, okay, what's a great way to get excited, people excited about a new album? So the Wolf did not sell as many copies as I Get Wet. So you jump in and create like a, a character or some kind of weird is Andrew WK real conspiracy before the new album comes out. Yeah, a little media frenzy. Yeah, and so that's what it starts out as because they have this whole, um, in, in 2005, he comes out and says, all right, after Steve Mike hacks his website, he writes a cryptic message that says like, I am not Steve Mike. We are two different people. That's such a strange thing you're talking about. And my new album, Formation of Power is coming out next year. Well, the Formation of Power never comes out. And so what happens is, is that he uh, then releases an album called Close Calls with Brick Walls and it only comes out in the UK, in uh, Asia. Mm-hmm. And none of it gets released in the United States. In fact, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a new US release until like 2009 where he does like a, a new age piano, that Cadillac 55 yeah. album where he's just doing piano stuff. So now this Stereogum article comes out this weekend saying that Andrew WK might not be a real person. And Andrew WK responds to it. So he just has a new video out. So could be promoting the new video by like regurgitating all this old stuff? That's I kinda that's what I think. I think Andrew WK created Steve Mike, or at least his buddies did, and they thought it'd be funny in a performance art piece, because he's a guy that kind of mm. lives performance art. Yeah, totally. Well it'll be interesting to see. So yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. But I just thought it was funny because like we just start talking about doing something because I saw the Avril Lavigne album coming out and then this Andrew WK controversy, our favorite. We've opened for Andrew WK. <laughs> We've met him. We, Many times. We go there. I'll sit there in line and we have him sign something. I made a shirt. Oh, yeah, you did make a shirt. We drove to Chicago to watch him sing Ramon's songs with Marky Ramon playing drums. So obviously... Everybody is obsessed with Andrew McKay here. And the fact that this stuff came out, it was just some weird bit of synchronicity. Yes, very weird. And so the controversy is, you can go down the rabbit hole and read that stuff. But here's the final verdict. It's not <laughs> worth it. Listen to music, you'll have a much better time. And see what you want to see. Just understand that it's all part of the performance art. Uh, very Andy Kaufman's thing. And I, I admire him sticking to that whole thing. It's really pretty good. So, anyway, Avril Lavigne, not dead. Paul McCartney, not dead. Andrew K, not dead. Elvis, dead. Mm. That's the final verdict and see you on the other side crew. So, we'll see what happens. Anyway, the Sunspot song this week, when you have something as thematically rich to work with as doppelgangers, it was hard. So, the song this week hits a heavy metal jam. Kind of an industrial metal jam, I think. It's a good way to put it. And... Tried to put little things in like guitar lines would then be copied, but a little bit different, just like a doppelganger or a lookalike is the same as you or the same as somebody else, but just a little bit, you know. So part of the fun in the song is that thematically we try to paint the text of the doppelganger with some of the music as well. Uh, Anyway, it's a lot of fun. And here's a new Sunspot industrial track for you based on the Rockstar Death Conspiracy. Doppelganger.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Well, we mentioned it before, Mike, but I got to say it again because I'm real excited for the hangout this week. It's Thursday night. That is September 27th at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And all of our Patreon community members are welcome to join us. And if anyone who's not yet a community member would like to join us, it's not too late. That's right. You can check us out at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. You jump in and you're going to get some extra fun stuff, uh, you know, stuff you're not getting anywhere else, part of the conversation. We get to hang out every month. Um, and you get to contribute in ways of, do you have a favorite topic you want to talk about? Is there somebody you want us to interview? That kind of thing. That's what you do at the Patreon community. And you can find that all at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And a special shout out to our contributor, Ned, who we had the pleasure of seeing actually last week at our performance down on State Street here in Madison. Thanks for coming to the show, Ned. Always great to see you. And thank you for being a wonderful supporter of Sunspot and see you on the other side. This shout out is for you. Yeah, Ned. And we'd love to shout out to you guys every single week on the podcast. So if you check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate, uh, you can be part of the cool crew who gets to steer the ship when it comes to uh, what side we're going to visit next. Can you dance like me? It's a fantastic word. We developed it. We said doppelganger.